Alrighty. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jess. So the Bible readings can be found on the screen behind me. So the first one is from Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 8. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then the second Bible reading is Ecclesiastes 3, the whole chapter. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity into the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better than for pe- better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever, forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Whatever is has already been, and whatever will be has been before, and God will call the past to account. And I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. I said to myself, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. I also said to myself, as for humans, God tests them so that they may see that they are like the animals. Surely the fate of human beings is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust, and to dust all return. Who knows if the human spirit rises upward, and if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work, because that is their lot. 
for who can bring them to see what will happen after them. This is the word of God. Well, a couple of weeks ago, it was Mother's Day, and um, I love Mother's Day, even though, to be honest, for me, it's a, it's a bit of a bittersweet kind of day. I love it because when I think of my mum, it, it makes me smile. All my um, sisters, I've got four sisters, and they all think that I was her favourite. Basically, uh, when I did something wrong, I found as a kid that the best way was to make her laugh, and then I got away with it. And so they're convinced that I was her favourite. But I also love Mother's Day because when I think of my wife, Kathy becoming a mother, it makes me smile too. You know, watching uh, Kathy being a mum across the seasons of life, it's been a joy. I've got four kids and my oldest is now 15. I saw him the other day he, in, a, in the cafe where he works. It was terrifying. I couldn't believe that, that he'd grown up so quick and it had happened. But I've, I've loved watching over those 15 years the way that Kathy has, um, has been a mum and grown as a mum. And I love Mother's Day because um, the kids just make it special for her, all the cooking and the craft and the gifts and all that sort of thing. Uh, it's not always been easy, that's for sure, but there's something beautiful about the commitment that mothers have to their children, the, the commitment they have, the power they have, the desire to care for them, shape them and love them no matter what. So I love Mother's Day, like I said, but it is also a sad time for me. Uh, it's sad because my mum died when I was 20. And now, actually, I've reached a point in my life where most of my life has actually been lived without her. And there's stuff about her and about, you know, the photo albums that I can't even remember if I, if I put my mind to it. And my dad, he's great. But when you ask him questions, you know, questions like, what age did I walk at? Or, you know, what kind of teenager was I? Or what did you do if I was having trouble with friends at, at school? He just sort of has this, oh no, kind of look on his face. And he kind of goes hazy. And what I realise is he's, he's rolled the kind of experience of all his kids into the one hazy ball from the past that he doesn't really know about. And I know that mum would have remembered. And that's just one way that I feel her loss. And so Mother's Day a couple of weeks ago for me, it was great, sweet, and yet it was bitter. And my guess is that that's the case for many of you here today too. You know what? Life is like that, isn't it? I'm often struck at times by just how wonderful life can be. And then sometimes even on the same day, I'm struck by just how awful and bitter life can be. And of course, the, the sweeter something is in your life, then the more bitter it is when you lose it, whatever that is, whether it's a person, a relationship, your health, a job. Today, as you've just heard, we come to a part of the Bible that's all about the bitter and the sweet. It's all about the, the beauty of time and, and the, the changing seasons of life. But at the same time, it's all about the tyranny of time and the burden of the changing seasons. This is our, our first point from what was just read before. There's a beauty and there's a tyranny to time. 
in this ancient book in the Bible, 3,000 years old, the writer is desperately seeking for the meaning of life, meaning in life. You know, this guy who writes this, he has everything you could imagine. Money, power, opportunity, celebrity, and with all these things that he has, he, he tries to find the secret to lasting meaning in this life. And what he does is he takes God out of the picture and he goes looking for meaning in all of the typical kind of places, places like money, alcohol, sex, career, and he tests each one of these things to find lasting meaning. And then he condenses down in this this short book what many of us would try over a whole lifetime. But at every turn, what he finds is that meaning doesn't last. Just when he he manages to to find it and, and reach out for it, to grasp it, it's like it evaporates and just slips through his fingers. There's no way for him to to nail it down. And one of the reasons for this, he tells us, is because you can't nail down time. Listen again to how the, the writer starts this chapter. He writes, There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, You notice the rhythm of this, the the kind of beauty of this. It says a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build. There's a, a beauty to the rhythm, but there's also a tyranny. A time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. There's a, a sense that, that we have to dance to the rhythm of a drum that we're not beating. Life swings between good times and hard times and everything in between and we have far less control over the changing of the seasons than we might think. It's kind of like we're a boat on the sea without a, a rudder or without sails or without any meaningful way of, of controlling our destiny. It's like we can reach out over the sides and and sort of paddle a little bit. But when a big enough wave comes along, there's nothing we can really do. We're going to be taken with that wave whether we want to or not. Have you found life to be like this? Have you found that it feels like you can kind of reach over the sides and, and, and control your direction a little bit? But there's so many seasons in life that are forced on us. The jobs that we were, you know, so thrilled to get at one point in our lives can enter a grinding kind of season of working day in, day out. Or the marriage that we chose so happily can become a season of hard work or a season where it ends tragically, suddenly. The children that we desperately wanted can carry us into a season of exhaustion or self-doubt, a time that kind of holds up a mirror to us and and reflects back our our feelings of inadequacy or failure. Or even if everything goes well and we're just the most amazing parents ever that you could ever imagine, even still the season passes and, and they leave us. And then sometimes in life we find ourselves in seasons that we never even imagined, like someone at Modbury who's just put his parents into a nursing home 
And he said to me, he's finding himself having to make decisions that are kind of humiliating for them. Can I buy this? His mother asked him. The seasons of life, they're not really in our control. And yeah, there's a beauty to that. But there's a tyranny to it. And the writer says that the end result is that that puts on you a burden. While at the very same time that it takes away from you the ability to find meaning that will last. And as if all of this isn't heavy enough, look at how he tops it off by saying that there's one season of life that we just can't ride out. Verse 19, Surely the fate of human beings is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. And so he concludes, everything is meaningless. Now that feels really stark, but just go along with him for a bit. Because remember what he's saying? He's saying that if you remove God from the picture, if you you just consider life coldly, objectively, as a whole, with all of its beauty and with all of its tyranny, what does it finally amount to as time rolls on and on? What are you left with that that can't be swept away? I remember uh, talking to someone uh, a while back and they said to me that what will be left that can't be swept away is the memories. They said, I will live on in the memories of my children, which on the surface sounds like a nice kind of comforting thought. But as time goes on, even that's not comforting. I can't remember my grandparents' names, let alone what their dreams were, what their character was like. Time and and death are cruel. So the writer comes to the same conclusion again and again in this book. Everything is meaningless. And it's, it's not that he's entered a depressed state where he can't see reality properly. You know how that happens when we get depression? We, we can't see reality properly. That's not what's going on here. It's not that he can't feel any happiness at all from the good things in life. It's the opposite, in fact. And this brings us to our second point, where he basically says to us, visit the past and the future, but live in the moment. My brother is an art therapist. I didn't even know that was a thing until my brother became one, but apparently it is. Anyway, he said to me one time, the past and the future are dangerous places to live. He said, we need to live in the present. Now, that's, that's a modern kind of way of putting it. And, you know, with visit the past, visit the future, live in the moment, that's a modern way of, of putting it. Listen to the way it's put by this writer in this ancient book in verse 10. We'll get to it after a couple of verses. He says, I've seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He's made everything beautiful in its time. He's also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. He's saying we have a sense of the eternal. And yet unlike God, we have no control over the eternal, no control over time. And so this is a kind of burden that we bear, but rather than be crushed by this burden, what does he say we should do? This is the point, verse 12. He says, 
I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. We can't control the past or the future. We can't even get our heads around them properly. And so what the writer says that we should do is enjoy the things in front of us while we try to do good. Now, this is good advice. And it's advice that people who don't believe in God can benefit from as well as people who do. But make no mistake, this doesn't give life meaning. There's only so far this advice will get you. Some people want to run with this as the key to life, as as the key to finding meaning. Find meaning in the moment. But notice that's not what the writer's saying here. When he says there's nothing better, he's not saying this is the answer. He's saying given what we face in life, this is the best we can do. Later on in chapter 9, verse 9, he makes this clear in a, a brutal way. He says, let's see if I can get there. It seems to have stopped working. Maybe uh, up the back he can kick us along to the next one. Oh, it might have frozen. Let me read it for you. In 9, verse 9, he says, Enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days. That's pretty brutal, isn't it? Living in the moment is is the best way to live, but even that won't nail down meaning. Now, when you're bending over a bathtub, you know, with a baby who's crying, with dinner burning sweetly in the background, and your other kids taking the opportunity to kill each other while you're distracted, trying not to drown a baby, the baby screaming, your back's hurting. You can tell yourself to cherish those kind of moments all you want, those precious moments. But it's difficult. It's a burden, isn't it? And it's not where you're going to find lasting meaning. Or when you're at work and it feels repetitive, because it is repetitive, and it feels like it achieves nothing that really matters or makes any substantial difference in life, and your, your boss is horrible on top of that, you can tell yourself to live in the moment, but it's difficult. It's not where you'll find lasting meaning. If all you have is the advice that you really should try to live, really should try harder to live in the moment and make the most of every day, because that's all you've got, well, the reality is that that is meaningless too in the end. And eventually, it'll get to you. It'll suck the life out of you. But the writer is actually telling us much more than that. Remember, the writer is saying, if you take God out of the picture, then everything is meaningless. If all you consider is is everything under the sun, but nothing else, just what's under the sun, then it's meaningless. But here and there in this book, he can't help but bring God back into the picture. He can't help but give us moments where he shows us the difference that God makes. And so this brings us to our final point. God designs the whole. And he gives us each moment as a gift. 
Look again at at verse 10, which we just looked at, but but have a, a look again. He says, I've seen the burden that God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. God holds the whole picture in his view. More than that, God designs the whole and he makes it all beautiful in its time, in his time, really. Verse 11 goes on, He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. We just can't do what God can do. We can sense that there's more to life than the part or the moment that we're facing, but we lack the perspective and we lack the control that God has. But here's the thing. When you know that God shapes the whole, and when you know that you can trust God with the whole, that enables you to live in the moment. But not in a a desperate way, trying to make the most of each day, not trying to nail down meaning for ourselves. This This is something quite different. This is about trusting God to nail down meaning for us. Look again at verse 12 where he writes, I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. And he adds, this is the gift of God. Life has meaning when when it's lived as a gift from God. We don't have to try and give it meaning. It already has meaning. It's a gift. Let me see if I can um, explain this or show you this in another way. I've just come back uh, a couple of weeks ago from a week of holidays in the Flinders Ranges. It was the first time I got up there. And one day um, we climbed St Mary Peak. It's about 20 kilometres of, of, of walking. And on that trip I can tell you there are many, many kilometres of not really seeing all that much. It's quite a slog actually in lots of places and if you stand still for too long the ants crawl all over you as well. But then there are other moments on this walk where where it all opens up and it's beautiful. On the day um, that we did the walk there was cloud and and mist over the the peak and so there were also moments of of swirling grey as well. So a a lot of the walk is, is spent with your head down trying not to trip over rocks. We started at about 8.30 in the morning and we didn't finish till about 4.30 in the, evening, in the afternoon. And so as I, I reflect back on it, the day was this strange blend of grey and beauty, tiredness and wonder, you know, hard work, exhilaration, boring rocky paths, and then breathtaking rocky mountain peaks. I can, you know, as I think back, I think it was great. And I also think, and it was awful. And both are true. But you know, through it all, never once did we have the whole picture. Not even at the top. And even if it had been a crystal clear day, there's still another perspective that we never would have seen could never have appreciated on that walk the view from the air. Have you ever seen the pictures of it? It's just phenomenal. It's mind-blowing. And life is like that walk. 
there are moments of just spectacular beauty and then there are moments of just horrible hardship. Moments of just crystal clear clarity. Moments of grey. And through it all, God alone is the one who sees the bigger picture, who controls the grand picture. We just see parts. Sometimes we see beauty, but you know what? A lot of the time we just see moments that don't make any sense to us at all. And the question is, can we trust him to make sense of it? You know, we can. We can't nail down meaning for ourselves, but we can trust the one who designs the whole. The real question is, do we trust him? Will we trust him? Let me put it another way really briefly. Another one of the uh, highlights of my trip was this. Looks great, doesn't it? <laughs> we, were, we were in the Aruna Valley uh, looking out at the same view that Hans Heysen, the artist, looked out over nearly a 100 years earlier. And he painted a picture of it. That's it there. Well, that's a picture of it if you zoom right in and look really closely. It looks horrible, doesn't it? It's, it's drab. But when you look at the whole painting, it's, it's beautiful. The point is, in life, we only get to see part of the artwork that God is painting. We only see the, the point in time that we're in right now. And I don't know what season of life you're in right now. Maybe it is one of beauty. But maybe it's one of horrible hardship. But God tells you in this part of the Bible that, that he sees the whole and that you can trust him to make whatever you're going through, good or bad, beautiful in his time. The writer of Ecclesiastes knew this. He, he knew that meaning will always slip through our fingers and that the only way for us to hold on to meaning is to hold on to God. But you know, we can actually know this even more powerfully and clearly than him. We can see that God doesn't stand back from us cold and distant, cold and distant to the mess of this world. We can see that God comes into the mess of this world in order to make it something beautiful. That is the way he paints it into something beautiful. We can see that Jesus defeats death on our behalf. His death makes death itself meaningless. He dies so that death will not be our end. He secures meaning for us by being nailed to the cross in our place. And we see what the writer of Ecclesiastes could only imagine, that death has been defeated, that there is a man who now lives forever, who goes before us, goes on ahead of us to bring a world where it will be forever a time to build and to heal and to build, to laugh, to dance, to embrace together even more than the writer, we, we can see that although we can't hold on to the meaning of life in and of ourselves, Jesus can do that for us. Now I mentioned at the beginning that a couple of weeks ago, Mother's Day, it's, it's always bittersweet for me. And I'm guessing it is for many of you for, for different reasons. Some reasons I know for some of you, some I don't know. But it's liberating to, to know that life 
is not just found in this moment or some past moment in a photo album or some possible future moment that we're striving for. Life really is found in Jesus. And through both the hard times and the beautiful times, he will hold you safe. And even through death, he can be trusted to hold you safe. We can face each moment, whatever it is, knowing that he knows its meaning. He will use each moment, no matter how dark or how difficult or how light or wonderful, to bring about something beautiful in its time. We can know this when we know God. If you take God out of the picture, you have to face the reality. There is no greater picture or meaning to those moments. But with God, he does nothing in vain and so with him, nothing, nothing is meaningless. Is that how you live life moment by moment? As a gift, knowing that, that Jesus will paint whatever you face into something far more beautiful than you can imagine. And if that's not how you, you live life, can I encourage you to, to think about making a change, to work at, at thinking about life that way? When we um, looked at this passage at Modbury uh, a couple of weeks ago, someone told me afterwards, they turned to their wife and said, do I think about you as a gift? I thought that should have been obvious and he, <laughs> he should have been thinking about that a long time ago. But it, it's life that, isn't it? There is so much that we take for granted that we don't see as a gift. Are we seeing each moment, even hard moments, as a gift that God will use to bring even something beautiful through. Now, if that's not how you live life, can I encourage you to, to change your thinking? And if you've never thought about life this way, can I encourage you to keep thinking about it? As we talked about uh, before, Damien got me up, we're about to start this church, Paraka, Campbelltown and Modbury. We're about to start a series called Life uh, in the in Zido Cafe at TTP in June, which is all about this kind of thinking, looking into life with Jesus. And this is worth looking into. This is worth working really hard to persuade friends and family to look into. You know, because Jesus doesn't offer you or them good advice or he doesn't tell you or them, try harder doesn't warn you or them to make the most of every moment in life because that's all they've really got. Jesus actually offers us something far better. He offers us life and meaning that starts now but will last forever as a gift. That kind of life is worth looking into and it's worth going the extra mile to help your friends and family look into it too. Let me pray for us. Father, we stand in awe of you, the one who sees the greater picture. But far more than that, the one who paints the greater picture. Lord, we are so baffled and and at times just lost in the swirling grey of the hardships that we find ourselves in, present or the pain of past ones that still stick with us. And we cannot imagine how you are doing something with this mess of this world. But you are. We know it for a fact because 
We know that Jesus entered this world and experienced the mess of this world to bring about that beautiful picture. Lord, help us to trust you, to trust what you were doing across time and what you were bringing about. Lord, help us to see each moment, each person, even hard times, hard people, as a gift from you. Lord, we pray that you would use us to show, point others to Jesus the true meaning of life, the only way we will know meaning in life. We pray this in his name. Amen.